Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, happy Fourth of July weekend. I've been blessed to have a four-day weekend and uh, spend some time here with you all. So I appreciate the opportunity to return. Uh, I ask again for your grace and patience with me. Uh, that I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and pray again, if you don't mind. No, always good. Uh, Father God, I just pray your blessing over this house today, uh, over your people that are gathered here. Lord, I ask that you would uh, anoint my voice, that I would speak not my own words or my own will, uh, but according to yours. Lord, that you would be with the uh, members of the congregation today. Lord, that our, our ears would be ear open to hear, and our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive uh, your word for us today. Lord, above all, that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm, uh, I'm wearing my 4th of July tie today. Uh, you can't see it very well, but it's, it's patriotic. There's a, the White House and an American flag. Uh, this is totally coincidental, I promise. Uh, I, this is the one that I picked up this morning. Uh, I'd previously spoken... Uh, back on Mother's Day, about the importance of sharing the gospel, which, as we know, is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, in Romans 1.16. It is my belief that each of us as believers share some responsibility to bear witness of the gospel to those in this world, through our words, our choices, and our actions. And although this is something I feel strongly, I do not base this belief solely on my gut feeling, but upon my understanding of the scriptures. In today's message, we will look at a man named Joshua and his mission from God. We'll compare and contrast this with the mission that Jesus gives to his disciples and to all those who call themselves a follower of Christ. In addition to this mission, we'll look at some of the resources that God provides to those in his service and the reward that awaits all of us who are faithful. We're going to turn in our uh, Bibles today, and you're welcome to join me, to Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to read through the whole thing and then... Uh, point out some highlights. Uh, thank you, Sister Tammy, for this delightful bookmark that coincides with our message today. Well, good. we'll make good use of it. Uh, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version of the Bible. Uh, this is Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. For just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, 
so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Joshua arose and commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over the Jordan to go in and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Uh, in our youth group, which I typically teach on Wednesday nights, uh, we have a, a standard process for studying scripture. We call it SOAP. It's an acronym, S-O-A-P. It stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So we'll be applying a little bit of this formula today. We've just read the scripture, Joshua chapter 1. So now we'll observe it, take a look at some, some highlights, some things that stand out, uh, and then look at ways we can apply it to our lives before closing in prayer. So the first thing we see, uh, before Moses' death, uh, actually in Numbers chapter 27, he asked God to appoint a new leader for the people of Israel so that they would not be like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord appoints Joshua, the son of Nun, and Moses commissions him with his own authority to lead Israel. After Moses' death, the Lord speaks to Joshua, confirming this commission and commanding him to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River into the land that was promised to them. Just as the Lord was with Moses, God promised to be with Joshua also. Then in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You remember the original promise uh, that God gave to Abraham uh, when he called him up out of the land of his fathers, uh, that this land that I call you to, the land of Canaan, will be yours and your descendants will fill it. Um, but then during the days of jo uh, Joseph, they had to move to Egypt uh, because of the famine in the land. And there they uh, grew and multiplied, uh, but were under the captivity of Pharaoh uh, until Moses was called by God to lead them up out of the lands of Egypt across the wilderness, and into the land that was promised to them. However, due to the disobedience of uh, the Israelites, due to the disobedience in some cases of Moses, uh, he was not given uh, the final uh, fulfillment of this mission, and in fact had to pass on authority to uh, his servant Joshua, his second in command, before uh, they could complete uh, what had been promised to them. A second time, God commands Joshua to be strong and courageous. But here uh, in verse 
7, uh, he also includes a command to abide by the book of the law, or instruction that the Lord had provided through Moses. By obeying this command, not turning from it to the right or to the left, Joshua will have good success wherever he goes. He is to meditate on it day and night, so that he may know and be careful to live by its instruction. In doing this, Joshua will prosper. A third time, then, God commands Joshua, Be strong and courageous, adding, Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord is with him wherever he goes. Again, when I'm not invited to speak with you here, uh, my primary ministry is leading the youth, the teenagers uh, at our church. Now, don't tell them I said this, uh, but you folks are a far kinder audience. <laughs> a lot of the times when I'm trying to teach them, they're whispering and talking amongst themselves and uh, distracted, not paying attention uh, to what God's word is being share shared with them. I often find myself needing to repeat something I said just to get their attention. The Bible does this in many places as well. Uh, Jesus says things like, verily, verily, I say unto you, uh, to quote the King James, you know, he'll say something, you know, again, uh, twice in a row or, or, you know, in context to repeat it. Uh, this is to get our attention, to make us take notice. So here where it says three times, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's something that we should take notice of. Joshua then takes command of Israel, instructing them to prepare to cross the Jordan River and to possess the land that God had given them. Uh, some of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, their promised land was on the near side of the Jordan, where they were already encamped. So they were instructed to leave their wives, their children, and their livestock in the land that was theirs, and to continue to help uh, their brothers and sisters, the rest of the Israelite tribes, to uh, conquer and take possession of the land that was theirs. So it wasn't like the whole you know, tribe of Israel arrived, and this portion splits off. It's like, okay, we're done. We're going to stay here while you guys go on and finish the quest. No, nope, they were commanded to continue to work together in unity uh, until all were able to achieve the rest that was promised. At the end of the chapter, then, we see the response of the people. The Israelites then accept Joshua as their leader. They acknowledge his authority and obey him as they had obeyed Moses. They also encourage him to be strong and courageous. Now, Joshua is a pretty cool guy, in my opinion, and one of Israel's great leaders. He led them into the Promised Land, upheld the law, and dedicated himself and his family to the service of the Lord. After him, things start to get a little tricky. Throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites went through cycles of rebellion and repentance. The people and their leaders, generation by generation, rejected God's law and sought to be like the nations around them, living in sin and worshiping idols. When the Lord disciplines them and they face destruction, the people repented of their sin and returned to him, casting off idols and worshiping God. You had great kings like uh, David and poor kings like Saul, great kings like Hezekiah, I'm not going to take credit for that, uh, and poor ones like his father Ahaz, great kings like Joash, and there's a sort of this generational cycle where they would turn to be like the nations around them and then repent of their sins and turn back to God. Uh, until eventually, centuries later, uh, during the time of the New Testament, uh, the Israelites are, again, without strong leadership. The religious leaders are divided, and politically, their king is a puppet under foreign Roman rule. 
It is to this people that the Messiah, Jesus, arrives. In the first few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, we read about the coming of Christ, his birth, his childhood, his baptism by John, temptation in the wilderness, and the start of his ministry. In Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38, it says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are some pretty neat comparisons we can draw between Jesus and Moses, including here the way they see the people of Israel, like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, I'm not a shepherd. I don't own any sheep, but I've seen some documentaries of uh, sheep herding and read books about it. And sheep are some pretty dumb creatures. Uh, they don't know where to go to get food. They don't know how to take care of themselves. They've got a lot of, these, a lot of this thick, heavy, wooly uh, wool, and which gets caught on everything, bushes and scrubs and plants and other sheep. And they're just constantly stuck. They need someone to help get them unstuck. Otherwise, they'll probably die. So the people of Israel are also seen like this. They don't have strong direction. They're wandering here aimlessly to and fro, stuck on all these traditions and uh, extra rules that they had added to their own law. So in addition to the original law that was given to them, they had some several thousand additional requirements. So that way they wouldn't even go near the law. Uh, for example, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, one of the Ten Commandments. Just relating to the Sabbath alone, the Jews had rules specifically detailing what considered constituted work or not, because they had a tradition that they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. So by not working on the Sabbath, they then had to define what work was. Stuff like picking up a stick off the ground could be considered work. These were not originally in the scriptures. They were added by uh, the people who were the religious leaders in this time. And they were quite stuck on them. Jesus is described in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, we read that the Lord is my shepherd. He leads us, he feeds us, and he protects us. He lays down his life for the sheep. But Jesus and Moses both knew that they cannot shepherd their people forever directly. Moses was going to die, and Jesus needed to ascend until the second coming. Their solution? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Ultimately, the sheep, God's people, belong to the Lord, but others are appointed to lead and feed his people until his return. Jesus himself then appoints 12 disciples and gives them the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction, Matthew 10, 1 through 4. He sends them out two by two to minister not to the Gentiles and the Samaritans, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the people of Israel heard of what Jesus was doing, of his teachings, of his healing, and the works of his disciples, they gathered in crowds wherever he went. Some desired food or healing, 
or even to make him their king by force, as we read in John. Others were frightened by the, his rise in popularity and sought his destruction. The chief priests and the elders of Israel, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, arrested him and brought him before the Roman government on charges of blasphemy and fomenting rebellion. To appease the crowd, which was being whipped into a frenzy by the persuasion of the chief priests, Pilate, the governor, had Jesus crucified. With Jesus' death, the crowds dispersed. Those who thought he was the Messiah, that he had come to be their king and deliver them for Roman rule, were lost. They returned to their homes, stuck in their old ways. Even the disciples, afraid that they would be the next to put on a cross or persecuted for their faith, hid away in a locked room, as we read in John. If ever there's a picture of discouragement, it is this. These same disciples who had seen the power of Jesus to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to cure the blind, and to raise the dead, and who themselves had performed miracles on his authority, had lost all hope. Our world looks pretty hopeless sometimes. Nations are divided, directionless, lacking in strong, courageous, God-fearing leaders. But do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus, who rose from the dead just as he had said, appeared to his disciples. He showed them the proof, proof of his death and resurrection. He gathered them at a mountain in Galilee and gave them this mission and this promise, as we read in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's the turning point. Until now, Moses, Joshua, the kings and the prophets, even Jesus and his disciples have been mostly ministering to the Jews, to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. Here, the command broadens. Go and make disciples of all nations. In John 10, 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. In Acts, the command is to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. In Romans, we read that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Greek, the Gentile, the foreigner, those like you and I who are sheep from outside the original fold. We're brought in by the message of the gospel. And the mission is not only to share the gospel, but to make disciples, so that the originalist followers of Christ, disciples would make more disciples, and those disciples more, so that we are not only the followers of Christ, but also laborers in his harvest. We are tasked with the same mission in our lifetime, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe or to follow all of God's commandments. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is a big one. But I believe that we are given some pretty big tools to complete it. These are authority, instruction, and the presence of God in our lives. We can see that Joshua received the authority previously held by Moses to lead the Israelites. This was affirmed by God and recognized by the people of Israel. Jesus received all authority in heaven and on earth, 
And it is with this authority that we are sent to do his work. We are ambassadors for Christ. His church is his body, acting in his name and on his behalf. With great authority, however, comes great responsibility. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. When we bear the image of Christ, bear his name, our actions reflect on his name. Let us be careful not to tarnish his image or dim the light of Jesus. To ensure that we do not, we are given the second tool, his instruction. Moses was instrumental in providing the book of the law to the Israelites. As we read in Joshua, the one who knows the law, who meditates on it and follows its instruction, will prosper and have success. Jesus says in Matthew 7:24 that the one who hears his words and obeys them will have a solid foundation and will stand firm in times of trial. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, as some claim, but to fulfill it. Upon his command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, has built all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37-40. I'm going to ask a quick question, and there's no need to raise your hand, but how many here have broken one of those laws? I will be the first to admit, I'm happy to say that I love God, but with all my heart? That's a lot to ask. And my neighbor? He's pretty hard to love sometimes. Do I really have to love him as much as myself? What if he's mean to me? I don't have to love people who hurt me, do I? The standard of the law is impossible to achieve in our own power. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So to live righteously, to follow all the commands of God, to teach others to do the same? For man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Mark 10, 27. And that brings us, of course, to our third tool. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord God was with Adam in the garden, Noah on the ark, Abraham as he left the land of his fathers to go wherever God willed. With Moses in the wilderness, Joshua across the Jordan River, and the people of Israel, even though they turned from him many times. With Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and David as he faced Goliath with a sling and five stones. With the apostles, Paul, and the saints as they faced persecution, imprisonment, and death for the crime of carrying out this mission. I can point to many examples in my own life, work, marriage, and ministry, where without God, I would have been defeated, discouraged, and destroyed. But with God, I have found success, been encouraged, and borne fruit. The moment I accepted Jesus as Lord of my life, as my shepherd, even though I am not of the sheepfold of Israel, the Holy Spirit of God began to dwell in my heart. Jesus told his disciples, It is better that I go, for if I go, I will send the Helper to you, that is the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul encourages believers to walk according to the Spirit and not the flesh, for their desires are opposites. The desires of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I'd warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 5, 16 through 24. When I live by my own strength, I cannot live up to the standards of the law, responsibly and truthfully uphold the name of Christ, and serve effectively as his laborer. When we walk with God, follow his commands, and serve under his authority, we are fully equipped to complete this mission, God's great commission. Regardless of the opposition we face, be it ridicule, ignorance, or persecution, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's a big job, but we have a lot of help from God to complete it, and a great reward for our service. One quick disclaimer, we're not talking about salvation, which is received by grace alone through faith and not a result of works. Rather, when we see Jesus, we will bear and sacrifice to him the results of our efforts into service. Jesus provides an illustration of faithful service in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, which we'll read together. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, and saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He then who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into that place there will be gnashing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
As we can see, the reward here is not based so much on the quantity of the labor for the one who brought back t five talents and the one who brought back two talents received the same reward. The servants, uh, so the reward is not so much with the quantity of the labor, but with our attitude toward it. The servants with five and two talents, which here is a sum of money, not a direct reference to skills or abilities, each through their service increased what their master had given them. Their reward? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. For the unfaithful servant, his attitude is that it's unfair for the master to reap where he does not sow, that the servant, not the master, should be honored. We are tempted in many ways to seek the reward, the credit, the recognition for our service, to proclaim our good works in the temple and in the streets, as in Matthew 6. But Jesus says to those who desire the recognition of others, you have your reward. While I can tell you, it gives me so much joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment to hear my earthly father say he's proud of me. How much more rewarding will it be to hear the same from our heavenly father? Although our mission is the same, I'm not saying that all of us are called to depart for foreign lands and disciple unreached people groups. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. The various members of the body of Christ described in this chapter refer to each of us with unique purpose, but a unified direction. Perhaps you are not called to go to foreign lands, but to support those who go, do go through prayer, through encouragement, and with our resources. Regardless of the activity, in obedient and humble service to the Lord is found the reward mentioned in Matthew 25 and here in 1 Corinthians 3. Some plant the seed and some water, but it is God who brings the increase. No one can lay a foundation other than what was laid, which is Christ Jesus. We, through our service, build upon this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work will be revealed through fire in the end times, and this fire will reveal the sort of work each has done, as God judges us for the contents of our hearts. If the work anyone has built on this foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, although he himself will be saved. Again, good works or lack thereof do not impact salvation, but will affect the reward that we receive in heaven. If you hear only a part of the word today, I ask that you hear this. The Lord is sending laborers into his harvest, into all the nations. If you are one of his people, if you have received his free gift of salvation and accepted Christ as your Lord of your life, I praise God. I rejoice with the angels as another lost sheep has come home. Here's the next step. As a fellow laborer in Christ, as one of his disciples, I urge you to accept his mission and individual calling in your life. If you don't know what that is, I ask that you spend time with him in prayer and ask him to show you. Make yourself available like the prophet Isaiah. Say, here I am, Lord. Send me into your harvest. For those who have begun, I pray that you would make full use of the tools at your disposal. The authority of Christ over this world to act in his name. The instruction of his word 
so that you would not be led astray, and the leading of his spirit to give you strength and courage to live righteously. Let us press on like Paul to make God's righteousness our own, because Christ Jesus had made us his own, pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The ultimate reward of God is not wealth, success, or honor as the world defines it, but to hear our Heavenly Father say, well done. Let's close with prayer. Father God, I thank you for this calling. Lord, that the word of the gospel would reach those of us who are not of the house of Israel, that it would spread beyond the borders of your promised land to all the nations, so that all would come to the knowledge and the understanding of Christ Jesus. I thank you that we have received this witness in our own lives, Lord, that we can call ourselves sons and daughters of the Most High, that we've been adopted, grafted into the family of God. But Lord, I pray that we would not take this honor lightly, but that we too would see the lost and the hurting around us, those like sheep without a shepherd, who have gone astray or been stuck in the same patterns of destruction that they find themselves in, that the world says is the only way. But Lord, we know that you are the only way, truth and life. Help us to be faithful stewards of what you've given us, of the talents, the time, the skills, the abilities that you've given each of us according to our ability. Lord, I pray that we would not just sit on what you've given us, but that we would go. We would make it our mission, as you have made it our mission, to serve those who are lost, to support those who go, to encourage and uplift the body, whatever it is that you've called us to do, Lord, that we would take part wholeheartedly in your calling for our lives. And Lord, that we would not do so lightly, but according to your word and to your authority and walking always in the presence of our God. Help us to be strong and courageous, to not be discouraged or dismayed or give up hope, but to know that you are with us in everywhere that we go. I pray your blessing over everyone gathered today. Lord, that we would depart this place, but not from your spirit that we would walk uprightly according to your word and according to your spirit and all that we do, that we would share your love with our friends, our families, and our neighbors in everything that we do. We ask this blessing in Jesus' name.